Before we start our podcast, a lot of you have been listening to Swisspreneur for inspiration on your own entrepreneurial journey. And I want to tell you about a great opportunity to get non-dilutive funding and coaching for your startup. If you have an innovative business idea, consider joining Venture. They're Switzerland's leading startup competition, and every year they award over 500,000 Swiss francs in cash prices, McKinsey & Company business consulting packages, and an amazing mentorship program. Submit your free application by March 3rd on venture.ch. Having a co-founder, I, I know, like I experience this now with Pabio, takes a lot of the pressure away, right? Because you have someone you can share everything with. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Carlo, you're very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. It's a pleasure. You're the co-founder and CEO of Pabio, a subscription-based furniture and interior design provider. Before we talk about your latest venture, we want to learn more about your personal background. First of all, you studied business administration at the University of Bern here in Switzerland, but at the same time, you're also building your very first venture, the explainer video company Cleverclip, which you found in 2013. So how was Cleverclip actually born? Can you walk us through the early days? Yeah, sure. So that, that actually started prior to me studying at university. So I, I Cleverclip started at, at high school and I started as a filmmaker. So I bought myself, I always wanted to become a director, a movie director. And I bought myself a very expensive DSLR camera that I couldn't afford. And I had to pay back the loan to my, my parents eventually. And so I started producing image movies around Bern and... Eventually, this industrial company came up to me and asked me if I could provide them with an explain with a with a video that explains the production process. And I, I looked at the, the the whole facility and realized that just m like taking a film, like taking a movie uh, of that, is is terribly boring. It's just a metal box. So I figured I'm gonna have to abstract it in one way or another. And uh, googled, researched, and came across these explainer videos. Um, keep in mind, this was 2011 so mm -hmm. um there was explainability wasn't, wasn't even a thing yet that right. was that was completely something new and so um i came across these explainer videos produced it and the company immediately like they loved it they immediately ordered like three or four more movies like that oh nice yeah yeah and that's where i uh, realized and you know i was at high school in high school right so i produced like you know two or three explainer videos per month at like two, three thousand Swiss francs each. <laughs> so I was, I was rich. I was, I was, I was super rich, right? And and I figured um, that could, I could probably turn this into a company, uh, like a small side gig. Uh, and then, yeah, basically started Cleverclip right after. I went traveling a bit and then came back and, and started Cleverclip. What did you do with the money as a high school student? I can imagine you had a, quite a few opportunities to spend it. I, I did, yes, I did. And, and I, I used those opportunities very responsibly <laughs> and spent all of it. <laughs> but I guess that's a good learning if you have that early on, right? That, you know, uh, hey, if you have a lot of money, you know, in, in relative terms back then, then you can also spend it quite fast. 
Yeah, yeah, it's 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 dangerous, right? There's always uh, you, you always find ways to to spend money. So um, yeah, I, I learned that early on. But in any case, yeah, I, I started the business and it it took off uh, unexpectedly, I should say. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, um, after two years of purely focusing on 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 Clever Clip, I figured I at least get need to get a, a bachelor so I have something, and then went to University of Bern. That's such a great story. So. From wanting to become a filmmaker, director, you actually stumbled into entrepreneurship. Was there any role model in your family or any other person that motivated you to become an entrepreneur? Or was it really that coincidence that you sort of found a business model that was working? Yeah, that's a good question. So in the family, not really. I mean, my, my uncle is a, is a really successful entrepreneur. But back then, we weren't really close. So I, I wouldn't say mm-hmm. in... in my close environment, there was a particular role model. In in the film industry, obviously, I mean, a director most of the time is an entrepreneur, and, and particularly the ones right. I was interested in, uh, George Lucas with Industrial Light and Magic had, you know, was is an entrepreneur and also combined art and technology in a unique way. That that was uh, what fast like what fascinates me uh, to this day, and and then obviously, you know, the the the. Richard Branson and Steve Jobs and and all these guys, yeah. As a, as a as a teenager, they were very um, influential on me. Were they also influential for you to take the decision after high school to focus on Clever Clip instead of just going, you know, for the bachelor's degree right after? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Steve Jobs book um, basically uh, influenced me on on taking a. A uh, trip around the world, particularly uh, through India, uh, because I figured if if he did it, I wanna, uh, I need to do it as well. <laughs> and um, and then and then also kind of gave me the confidence that uh, you you don't really need university to um, to um, become a successful entrepreneur. That sounds like a life changing trip. What other sort of learnings did you take away from traveling the world? Oh, many. But I think the major ones. So we've been traveling through India and Southeast Asia for 10 months, um, me and my girlfriend back then. And that was the first big exposure, like the first major exposure I had to countries outside of Europe. And the it, it had a really deep, actually a really deep effect on me. So, so one thing I learned was that we're so incredibly lucky and in such a crazy bubble here in Switzerland, it's, it's really difficult to fathom how lucky we are compared to the rest of the world. And I just figured during that time that if I don't make the best out of this, because I was, I just understood how like how luck piled on top of each other. Um, for me, you know, I was born into Switzerland, uh, born in Switzerland, born into a really good family. Um, you know, I, I got a lot of love and support from my parents and my environment and. You know, I, I, I have a decent IQ. And I just figured all these lucky coincidences piled up. So I have to do the best. I have to, I, I have to make the best out of it because otherwise it's, it's an absolute waste. And then you said the best thing is to produce explaining videos or to be an entrepreneur in that regard. The best way is to be, be, become an entrepreneur. Yeah, that's, that's um, one of um, the things I, I truly believe is that uh, entrepreneurship is one of the most efficient ways to change the world. Yeah. That's uh, that's a deep belief I, I hold um, since yeah uh, very early on. And nevertheless, you then decided to still go for university to chase that 
bachelor's degree, why did you decide to if you said, hey, it's not actually required? That's my insurance. <laughs> that was <laughs> okay. my insurance. I figured, I figured um, if, if shit hits the fan, yep. um, I at least have uh, something. Yeah. But insurance for what? In, in, just to find a decent job afterwards? Or what was that insurance meant for? Yeah, I guess so. I, it was also a bit of a, a, an ego thing, to be honest. I, um, my, 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 my family has a very strong ac- academic background, and I figured mm-hmm. uh, I, I need at least something. Yeah. But uh, looking back, um, I'm, I'm very honest um, on this topic. Looking back, I, I feel, except for financial accounting, I wouldn't say I, um, there, there was a, a, a good enough return on investment. On the, on the bachelor. Yeah, it's quite a time investment. <laughs> it was, yes. I mean, I, I worked, I worked full time. Mm-hmm. I, I I bootstrapped Clever Clip and um, had a crazy work schedule and um, on the side studied full time. So it was very very intense. Yeah, it wasn't worth it at the end. I wouldn't say. Yeah. yeah how do you manage your time? You know, studying full time and building your own company full time by bootstrapping it. That's intense. How did you manage your time? You just didn't sleep anymore. I did. <laughs> I didn't sleep too much. That was for one, and then um, I, I guess I got really efficient in. So I I, I barely made it to to uh, to lectures uh, in person. I, I I got really efficient in reading. So I'm I'm a quite. Uh, I became a uh, because I had to. I, I became a, a relatively fast reader, mm-hmm. and and just became I think a very effective student. Um, not particularly, you know. Um, I don't think a lot of the stuff stuff stuck and was <laughs> and was um, sustainable. But but um, I was reasonably fast in learning. Yeah, you had it in there for the exam, and then it was gone. It's. Exactly how it was, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's a fair point. That's yeah. how the, the system works, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you were building Clever Clips still at the very young age. And did you ever have any, you know, issues with that, that people didn't take you seriously? That they say, hey, why should we do business with you as a big brand, as a well-known corporate, because you're so young and you just started your company? Was that ever a challenge for you to to win deals or to win the trust of people to work with you? Interestingly enough, it was always a fear of mine. I was mm-hmm. always afraid of of that happening. Interestingly enough, I think never really occurred. Um, there, there, I can't remember any situation where um, people didn't take me seriously because I was relatively young. Um, so no, I actually would. It was a fear um, that I had because I was, you know, early, in my early twenties. Mm-hmm. But but. Um, not no, not that I yeah, not that I would remember. No, uh, you probably delivered good quality, so it was never an issue. Yeah, or they they were just too nice to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the Swiss way, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but I, it's good to hear. You know, it, it was a fear, but it was it was not real. I think that's a, a great motivator for anybody out there thinking about starting their own company at the young age. That hey, it's probably not as as difficult as you might think in your head head that it that it might be. Oh, it's certainly more difficult than you think in your head it is. But th- that particular fear was right. was unfounded. But but I think overall it's 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 uh, uh, it's it's a very 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 difficult endeavor. But but this particular thing, yeah, and I think that's with 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 uh, most things. Uh, it's the usually the the problems that that you stumble uh, upon are not the ones you anticipate right it's mm-hmm. it's it's uh, other things that that really 
um, make your life a bit more difficult. Yeah. So now we heard of a thing that was easier than expected. What was more difficult than you anticipated? <sighs> Many things, I Many guess. Many things. I think the major one, um, if, if I have to boil it down, is the, the psychological um, pressure you have as an entrepreneur. Um, I think that's that's something I still um, I still have to work on. It's it's it's. I think it's um, and I don't think it, we talk about this enough, uh, often enough. But I think it's it's a real. That's a that's for me personally. That's that's the real challenge, right? To to um, live with this huge responsibility and pressure, and and everything hinges on your decisions right and if you if you make the the wrong decisions you eventually have to fire people and it just has this whole second and third order consequences that mm. um you know are are quite difficult sometimes to grapple with how do you handle that and how also did that show in your daily life when you experienced that psychological pressure um i think with time i go better at it for sure uh i'm i'm less um I'm, I'm getting less often thrown out of balance i would say um but early early on um if if sales didn't go well i i got nervous and my mood declined probably and 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 then my employees realized that and it was just a whole thing and and i i should say i started clever clip my myself so i was a solo founder Cannot recommend. Uh, I would probably not do this again. And and uh, that obviously having a co-founder, I, I know, like I experience this now with Pabio, is is um, takes a lot of the pressure away, right? Because you have someone you can share everything with. Yeah. Any other tips or any outside tools or help that you got that helped you navigate through the psychological pressure part? Because I, I think there are so many other founders that can relate to that, and they finally think. It's so great to finally hear someone speaking about that. So I want to learn more about their experience, how they sort of broke that negative cycle and came out stronger out of the whole experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I joined EO, Entrepreneurs' Organization, early on, okay. very early. Um, and they were gracious enough to, to let me in. Um, and and that was a big help. So, 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 so for those um, listeners who don't know what EO is, it's... it's um, it's called entrepreneur organization. It's basically, um, it's organized in in chapters, in local chapters, and then each chapter has a forum of about ten, like seven to ten entrepreneurs, and you meet on a on a regular basis, on a monthly basis, and then really openly share your problems and issues, and and they can be, um, you know, business in nature, but also personal uh, relationship issues, and that helped that helped a lot for sure. Yeah, to to have uh, people around me and and. One thing you you realize early on um, that I tend to dismiss um, more often than not is everyone has these struggles, right? Everyone, like, literally, I know so many very very successful and impressive um, men and women, and everyone has has the same issues. We're all struggling with the same things. That helps, yeah, to put that into perspective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If we now fast forward a bit in 2020, you then also made a, quite a bold decision. You decided to step down as CEO from Cleverclip. So I wonder what led you to that decision. Were you just getting bored with the repetitive tasks at hand or 
were there other reasons why you decided, hey, it's now time for me to to leave the operational role? Yeah, so I I built up Cleverclip um, for about seven, eight years, about seven years, and an agency is it's it's a I think it's it was for me. Anyways, it was a fantastic start into entrepreneurship because you can easily bootstrap it. You don't need any external investments um, because you can pretty much finance everything from from the cash flow, and and it allowed me to to generate some cash um, and more importantly to um, you know get a lot of experience. And after doing this for seven years, I figured I I need to do something new. I, I want to do. I want to. I want to try something new. I I got too comfortable really um the, the the thing with an agency is also like i mean you know everything has two sides that the, the the flip side is that you cannot scale it indefinitely there's this this ceiling that you eventually hit and it becomes really really difficult to scale beyond that um and we were with our size we were already one of the bigger agencies in in Switzerland, um, so so I just figured I I need to do something new and and um, you know start a new adventure basically. That's also quite a you know a big self reflection that you put in there to come to that conclusion because other people might say I don't want to leave my baby although it's not that fun anymore for me a bit repetitive I hit the ceiling I can't let go. Was that ever a challenge for you to let go of of the company you basically built from scratch? Also, to be honest, I, I I hear this one a lot, but but for me personally, not really. No, I have an I have absolutely an amazing team. Uh, Rachel that took over as, as CEO. I I knew from the get go she was with the company for six years um, or five years of those seven years. So basically, from the beginning. And I knew, you know, the, the company will be in very good hands. Um, and now looking back, um, when when she took over two years ago, I mean, she, she's been doing a better job at, at, at running the company than myself. So so I definitely made the right decision. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And and no, no, that that was never really a problem. I mean, I'm I'm obviously, it's still my baby, right? I really care deeply about the company, but uh, I never had troubles letting go. No. So now, if I can put it that way, you know, she running the company better than you, as you just said, you're probably even very happy about that step. Absolutely, yes. I mean, it's 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 it, this was a dream outcome, to be honest, because yeah. I, I I found someone who you know really cares about the company and 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 takes great care of it, and um, and at the same time, I can focus on uh, on on something new and don't don't have to worry about um, you know. What's going on there? And how did you find the right role for you after you left the operational part? I mean, technically, you're still the owner of the company, right? So how much do you still want to be involved and how did you make that decision? Because it was clear for you, no more operational involvement, but at the same time, it's still your company. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, it, um, I mean, my my strength is is... I think I'm doing a decent job in in strategic decisions. So it was clear from the get go, and Rachel is a lot better with handling people and relationships and and actually doing the work. So so I think we have a great dynamic. I can come up with the crazy ideas and 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 
and the, the the big vision that's the easy part and then she has to do she has to do the hard work it's fantastic i enjoy it a lot that's like a great combination for me it is anyways yeah <laughs> so maybe you have to ask rachel too yeah, <laughs> yeah. so uh was it ever an option for you to sell the company completely to say hey there's someone else taking over maybe a big agency conglomerate or anybody else that might be interested in buying the company um, over the years, we got some offers, uh, but I always figured, I, it was it was never really seriously on my mind. Uh, I mean, never say never. Uh, you know, if if one day there's you know an an offer I can't refuse, then uh, that's that. But but I I was never eager to sell it. No. Or the offers just weren't good enough. Or the offers weren't good enough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Then after you left the operational role at Cleverclip, you didn't take a break for too long because you just jumped right into your next venture. So also in 2020, you co-founded Pabio together with your co-founder Anand. And first of all, what problem do you actually solve with Pabio? Can you talk a bit more about that so people have a better understanding about what you exactly do? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So um, I talk in first person because Anand joined me a bit later, mm -hmm. but I knew that so so um ending the operational run at cleverclip i knew that uh, i knew a, th a few things about my new venture so i knew it had to be in this intersection between tech and design uh that's where where i feel comfortable and i also knew that it had to be something scalable exactly for the reason that we um established um a few minutes ago that uh, you know i've built this sme case this bootstrapped sme case and i figured now i really want to try my hands on on the the polar opposite of that which is a, a hyperscale uh, vc backed company and the third thing was um that was not a, a necessary requirement but I, I i thought it would be great if i could um do a b2c product uh, i've been working now in b2b for 7 years i i like it a lot but i just figured i i want to have a product that uh enriches the life of my friends and potentially my family and not just some project manager at some big corporation. So that's quite a strong motivation to have. For you, it was always clear that you would want to do your next venture and not just do something completely different. Yeah, I, yeah, I think, I think um, since starting Cleverclip, um, I eventually realized that I'm, I'm probably not going to get out of this entrepreneurship yeah. ever. Once you're in there, you're never going to get out of it if it's really the fit for you. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I can't see anyone. I, I, I also don't think anyone would ever want to hire me, to be honest. I don't think I'm... Um... <laughs> That's what we hear from many guests. They say, I became unemployable. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm, I would absolutely agree with that <laughs> statement. I'm, I'm, I'm unemployable, yeah. And what's striking here is that you chose a completely different setup. So going B2C instead of B2B, going venture-backed instead of bootstrapping, why do you want to do everything where you didn't have an experience yet? Why not, you know, monetizing the learnings you already made with Cleverclip? Was it really the new thing that was so appealing to you? Or did you want to grow as a person or say, hey, I can not only do B2B, I can also do B2C and prove yourself? What was the motivator behind that? Yeah, the the, the learning experience, really. So I, I, I just figured... Um... I yeah, where's the biggest learning opportunity again for me? And 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 um, I, I would have get gotten gotten bored if 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 I've you know would have done something similar. So I figured it has to be something 
different. And now, of course, please also quickly walk us through the product. So what do you exactly offer with your new venture? Yeah, so so I can I can uh, quickly tell the story of how it all started. So with yeah. these uh, re- kind of requirements in my head, I mean, uh, as an entrepreneur yourself, you probably also have a list of startup ideas. Uh, everyone has that. Uh, it's a very, very long Evernote uh, list in, in my case. And... So there were a bunch of ideas on there um, that I've had for many, many years. And with this list, um, I basically went and visited friends and and family members and colleagues, usually at home for a coffee or for a team in the Mm -hmm. afternoon. Um, That was pre-COVID, I should say. And I just wanted to explore different options and talk about everything and anything, um, see where, you know, where they have pains in their life that I could possibly solve, uh, discuss multiple ideas, business ideas. And one thing that always stuck out was how terribly designed their apartments were. Absolutely (laughs) grotesque how shady their interior were. And if they're listening, you guys know who you are. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> I was very upfront. And and I should say, I think my um, uh, my apartment, our apartment, um, is, is quite, like, I, I put a lot of thought into it. And mm-hmm. whenever we have guests, we always get compliments on, on how, how nice it is. And, and I always felt that's a really nice, like, that's a really nice compliment to receive is someone coming for dinner and then telling you, oh, that's really a nice, that's yeah. a nice cave you have here, basically, right? It's, it's something very fundamental. And and after the third or fourth time, I just asked blatantly, like if they, you know, if they don't care, if they, if they, um, if they don't care about the interior design, if they ever thought about, um, you know, paying for it. And the answer I always received was, I would love to live in a nicely designed apartment but I just rent this place and in three years I'm out. Mm-hmm. And my first thought was three years is a really long time. Uh, and I would hate to live in a place like this for three years. Agree. Um, and, and another anecdote is I think most people would never pay for an Airbnb if it were to look like the apartment they live in. <laughs> so I just figured we, 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 maybe there's, you know, there's something we can do there. And, um, looking deeper into it, I realized that nice interior design, the service per se is not what makes it expensive. Um, the the really expensive part is that once you have, you know, once you invited the designer that creates a, a, a nice concept for you, you have to purchase furniture for 15, 20,000 Swiss francs mm-hmm. to make it a reality. And, uh, or, and, and that's where most people just fail uh, because they don't either have the money or also reasonably... It just doesn't make sense to to purchase this kind of furniture when you just rent the place. Sure. And so our idea was to to combine both, right? To offer an interior design package and then rent out the furniture so they don't have to purchase it. And then, so with Pabio, and that's where our value proposition comes in. Um, with Pabio, you basically get your apartment fully furnished by a professional interior designer, and then you rent high quality furniture on a monthly subscription. That's amazing. And why is that better to have a monthly subscription instead of purchasing it yourself? I mean, there are multiple you know, pros for doing that, but you have uh, certain answers to that question. Yeah. For most people, it's just not affordable to, to, to buy that furniture up front. 
and um, by offering a subscription, we, we, we can do a few things, right? So first of all, um, because the, the furniture is, the, the, fur the subscription price is um, mainly driven by the depreciation time. If we get high quality furniture, um, you pay a really low monthly subscription fee because the furniture is, is durable. So if you actually look at the, the pricing, it's, if we reasonably expect it, you know, you change your furniture, your IKEA, your IKEA furniture, whatever, every few years, um, it's actually cheaper for you to to rent high quality furniture than purchase um, what's called fast furniture every few years because you have to replace it, obviously. Mm -hmm. So you're actually, as a consumer, um, you're, you're actually better off financially. Um, Always under the assumption that you know you move apartments every three four years and you yeah. with with that movement you you exchange big part of your fast furniture. Right. But um, if that's the case, then you're you're financially better off than uh, by by renting it than if you were to um, purchase it. And then there's also the sustainability factor, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So 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 that's um that's the the the, the other obvious reason is so. I always say, I mean, there are you know big furniture companies that portray themselves as as very sustainable, but if you if you boil it down to their business model, it's they want to sell as much furniture to as many people as possible as often as possible. That's just yeah. their that's how they make money, and and there is an inherent, um, I mean, you, you can hear it right. There's an inherent unsustainable cycle in there uh, where you just have to produce more and cheaper and and also we, you can see that in the furniture industry so so um the, the the furniture got cheaper and and also cheaper in the sense of pricing cheaper but also how it's made so yeah. so most items that you purchase just are not as durable anymore as they used to be when say your grandparents uh, purchased and no. bought furniture and and in our case it's it's exactly the opposite right um as i just said we 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 the pricing in our case is derived from the depreciation time of, of furniture so we want to place as many furniture for as long as possible into people's apartments so we are highly incentivized to use high quality sustainable furniture versus cheap short-lasting stuff mm -hmm. and in that regard you also have a business model challenge to a certain degree because you have quite some high setup costs you know you need to have the interior designer do their work you have the furniture that you have to place there and bring there logistically so how do you avoid that people sign up for you know your subscription but then cancel after three months and you basically have a huge uh, minus on your bank account because you put all that upfront investment in there yeah we we have a similar solution to to um other subscription plays in in the p2c space uh, which is um you basically have to commit between one and five one and four years currently okay. um and and depending on you know if you choose one or four years um the the the, the monthly price changes accordingly yeah. that's how we um mitigate the risk that you know you may wanna you, you may drop out after two months sweet and then on the other hand i think you also have a specific option available that once you stay with your subscription for a certain period you also get the chance to actually purchase and own the furniture, right? Yeah, so you have a, a purchase option um, if you, you know, after three or four years, if you feel that uh, we, 
you know, you really love the furniture and you want to keep it, then eventually it just doesn't make sense for you anymore to to, to continue to renting it. Yeah. So then uh, we offer you uh, to, to buy it out um, at the remaining value. So you never pay more than retail. It's that time of the year again. Swissbler is gathering feedback to become better at advancing entrepreneurship in Switzerland. If you'd like to give us your two cents, please reply to our user survey. Everyone who replies will get free Swisspreneur socks and stickers to sweeten the deal. Check the show notes on this episode for the survey link. And hey, thank you very much. Why does that make sense also for you from a business perspective? Because then you lose recurring revenue, which is not that uh, you know, attractive. We do lose the recurring revenue, that's true. Um, but we just felt that for the consumer, it just eventually makes makes more sense for them to, to purchase it. And we're okay off in, in, in... Obviously, we're better off if you rent it perpetually. Right. Uh, makes sense. But we're also doing okay if you if you eventually buy it out. So we're, we're, we're doing okay in both cases. So you did the calculations there. That's we, great. Yes. <laughs> You also briefly mentioned your co-founder who joined a bit later and also, you know, from your Clever Clip experience that you actually wanted to have a co-founder. Can you talk how you met and what makes a strong team? Yeah, sure. So um, that's a funny story. So so Anand and I were both mentioned in, I think, 2018 uh, on the Forbes 30 and 30 list in Europe. Uh, so he's originally from India, Delhi, lives in the Netherlands for the past five years. And he's... He has a tech background, so he's the techie and responsible for the full tech stack, and I'm responsible for biz ops and marketing and all that boring stuff. And um, we originally met a few um, years ago, and then he reached out and and asked me if if what I'm up to and 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 um, what my plan is. And yeah, um, the timing was just perfect. So we figured um, we should do this together. So I was already in pub. Yeah, like I, I would, I would committed to the idea, um, but it was really still early on. And so he joined in July last year, which was like about half a year after I, I started the company. And why is the technical component that he brings to the table so important for your product? Um, on on that's that's on multiple fronts. So so for one, if so, furniture is very very difficult to um logistically it's it's very very expensive to ship around right so mm-hmm. you want to make sure that your it infrastructure uh really facilitates um the, you know the whole logistics perfectly and and there are no mistakes so we actually built our own uh, our own erp system um just to make sure that everything works cuz wow. if you ship furniture to the wrong address it's very expensive to fix it Um, that's one and then the other part uh, the more important part is um, so how probably works is you you upload your floor plan and some photos of your apartment and then we generate automatically a 3d model of that apartment and fully furnish that 3d model so you have an exact view of how your apartment will look like fully furnished Um, and as full render pipeline um, there's quite a bit of tech in there and so that's um Obviously, we worked with with existing open source components, but also we built a lot of custom scripting that um, took a, a bit of time. That sounds amazing, and also way more scalable than a service business, so to speak. You know, where you sell a specific product, but now you have the recurring revenue and you have the tech to make it scalable. 
Yeah, that's the idea. So you've exactly. totally moved the ceiling to a new height, that's, so to speak. <laughs> that's the idea, yes. <laughs> I also want to talk about a few challenges that you might have faced across the journey, uh, along the journey so far. So the first one is, you know, having a subscription for your furniture, that's something that people are not really familiar with. So, you know, they go to Ikea or they purchase their stuff online, but having a subscription is not something that people are familiar with when it comes to their own furniture. So how difficult is it for you to win new clients? Yeah, it's um, it's a very good question. So it there's a, a lot of education we have to do. And I think going forward, we will we will even have to do more right it's you it's, think so yeah absolutely i think okay. i think if the 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 broader we we target the market now the the more demand creation we have to do and not just demand capture okay. um there are certain so we started with with certain early adopter groups that just you know fitted the case perfectly which uh, you know expats they right they yeah. need you know eventually so most of the time they they get um uh, a furnished apartment for a few months that the company pays for but eventually if they ha- if they settle in they have to uh, purchase their own furniture so in that case obviously Pabio makes a ton of sense uh and then the the second funny early adopter group is freshly divorced or separated men uh <laughs> makes a ton of sense if you think about it they're they're uh we, we we didn't plan for this they just eventually we just realized that they're overrepresented in our in our customer uh in our customer base and and uh, then digging into it obviously kind of have to move out they don't have furniture they want to impress you know the dates they take home. so like everything kind of adds up but then if we go broader um and we really want to target eventually so we really want to eventually offer a better alternative to purchasing fast furniture every few years for mm-hmm. all those young urban people that rent apartments, which is which is quite a broad uh, TAM, and that requires a bunch of of um, demand creation for sure. How can you get there? I mean, this sustainable aspect that is a huge USP that you'll bring to the table for that younger than you generation, the Fridays for Future generation, so to speak. How do you plan to bring that demand into your, you know, into your IT platform? Yeah, I just think it it takes a lot of time to educate the market, um, and and I think um, I mean we're still working on it, but I think we, you know, you really work yourself from an early adopter cohort slowly towards, you know, that um, that that big fat part in the middle of the Gaussian curve um, where, where all the money apparently is. And, and it, but it just takes, I think, a ton of time. And are there any particular activities that you can do to educate the market, you know, like doing partnerships with specific media companies or working with influencers whatsoever? Do you have any plans there or do you think it just needs time and step-by-step winning new clients that you can then grow through the word of mouth and educate the market that way? No, I think it... it, it um if I say it takes a lot of time, I also mean it takes a lot of actions on on our end. So we'll, right. we're, we we have plans in store to um, yeah have you know multiple marketing channels now targeting um, you know rebranding campaigns and 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 um, targeting a broader segment of the market. I think um, Carvolution did a fantastic job in this regard. I think they um, so they started I believe in in eighteen and and um, from from what I can see, uh, I think it took them some time, but now they really educated the market to the point where yeah. most people understand that um, 
purchasing a car just doesn't make a ton of sense. And that, of course, to have those campaigns up and running, that also requires money. So here you did something different. You put on VC investors early on into Pabio, something you didn't do at Cleverclip. Can you talk a bit more about why that was the right step for you to take? And now, besides the pure learning experience, of course, why it makes sense to have investors on board for that case? Yeah, I mean, the, the, it's it's very different to Cleverclip, right? We... we um we need a ton of capital to make this work. Um, and it's also the first time for me that where, I mean, Cleverclip as an agency, you know, the P&L statement and the cash flow statement, they um, like they correlate quite closely, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you have a ton of, you know, profit, you also have a ton of cash to, to spend eventually. Yeah. Um, and and in the case of Pabio, they, they diverge. Um, so the more profitable we are, um, the less cash generally we have because we have to purchase all the furniture and everything up front right, right. and that uh, we we don't pay f- w- all of that with equity obviously we have a, a debt financing structure for that but there's still a part of it that we have to pay for with equity right. so we we the, the business model just inherently requires a ton of capital uh which um yeah means that we have to raise money from vcs and now, you know, walking through both experiences with investor money and without, can you elaborate a bit more on the pros and cons of bootstrapping versus VC funding? Yeah, so, um, I mean, there, there, there are a ton of, um, I mean, obviously pros on, 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 on both sides of the argument. So, so bootstrapping, bootstrapping your, your so f- you don't have any, so you, you have, a super simple stakeholder management, right? It's I always said it's 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 me. I take care of my employees, and my employees take care of of my customers, yeah. of their customers. So it's it's just a super simple cascade. And then we have some, um, you know, um, some partners, external partners, but that's about it. Yeah. And and the interests are more or less perfectly aligned. Um, and then that's the, the the point where you know, as a as a bootstrap business you you generate dividends so you're actually you generate money and cash in real life um and that you can you know reinvest or 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 spend or whatever and in a case of a vc backed company it's it's fundamentally different at cleverclip i didn't have any reporting duties right i just um was literally my own boss and mm-hmm. at probably it's, it's fundamentally different so first of all i mean we have I should say we have amazing VCs, re- really great people, um, um, and and they are super supportive. And but there's still this, there's definitely pressure, right, to make the company grow fast and and to you know um, sometimes also take maybe bigger risks than you would normally take if if it were your bootstrapped company. Mm-hmm. That's not, and I should say that's not because. A VC explicitly tells you grow faster, take more risk, um, or otherwise I'm gonna, you know, come and get you. It's really more. Imp- imp- it's this implicit relationship that is established between the entrepreneur and the VC because both agree to, you know, this only makes sense at this valuation if it grows a lot. Right. Um, and 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 that is a dynamic. Um, that before going into, I, I underestimated um, that you know this 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 um, 
faster and it's it's very it's very cool on one end on one side because it, it it really moves you forward fast and quickly but on the other hand it's also um it's 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 quite difficult to to you know do proper stakeholder management and figure out is do I now agree with them and I have to do I want to do it as they intend to or or do right. I want to slow down because I believe it, it's the better route and it it's just it, it takes some uh, more overhead overall to to um, orchestrate everything can that also increase the pressure on you as a founder? You mentioned before being a solo founder, you had to deal with the pressure yourself, but now you have a third party, the investors, that could sort of also increase the pressure that you didn't have before on top of everything else. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I, I, at least it did for me. Um, I um, I feel a huge responsibility um, towards the people who gave us money and... Mm -hmm. I didn't take a salary for the first one and a half years, basically, um, and and only now started to to pay myself something, but just because I I I didn't feel comfortable, um, you know, taking other people's money and then paying a, a salary with that. So so I, I yes, absolutely, I have a huge responsibility, um, uh, which I didn't have when it was mine, right? Because it was m m the money I earned and the money I I spent and and, and right. wasted if, if I made the wrong decisions. And at the same time, the investors can also be an important support factor, right? So they're like your third co-founder in the game to a certain degree because they have the same interest to see the company succeeding. Did you feel any difference there? Or ask differently, what is overweighting the support or the increased pressure that you didn't have before? I think... I mean, the, the, I think the difference is the, the support is very explicit, and they, 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 you know, they, they really sit with you on a table and, and give you support. And the pressure is this implicit byproduct, right, mm -hmm. of the relationship. Yep. Um, I, I think, oh, oh, I mean, overall, I, I really value having them um, on the cap table. Um, it's just that, um, and at the end, I should also say, I mean, we. Even though they're fantastic, you, you still gotta do the work yourself, right? Of course. So, so I think there's also, I mean, I, I don't know, but at least me personally, I, I had this idea that having a great VC on on the cap table will alleviate some of the the problems. I, no, no, they're not gonna help you solve your problems. You you gotta solve the problems yourself, right? So, um, I think that's a fair reality check. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they're they're there with you, and and you can ask them. Anything you have questions, but you still, you know, you're the driver and and you have to um, fix the problems yourself. And I should also say, um, I, I, I want to push back a bit on this uh, idea that the, the interests are fully aligned. They are, mm -hmm. right? They want to see the company grow and, and we want to see the company grow. So in this case, yes, absolutely. If you just um, look at, 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 at one company, which is us, um, but if you look at... at the old, like I mean, Pabio is is one small company, a huge portfolio. So they have their risk right. fully diversified. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't, right? We're full in. So yeah. if 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 this doesn't go well, um, I wasted you know three, four, five, six years of my life, um, probably the best years, and and um, and nothing came out of it, right? Whereas the, the VC, obviously, um, they have, you know, they're the smart ones, really, because they diversified the risk. And they don't really care if, if 
company A or B will will succeed. Well, they will not tell you this. Obviously, they will always say sure. we, we really care about it, and and I believe that. Right, I I do believe that. But but just rationally, it really doesn't matter. They know that you know it's it, there's like this power law, and one of the companies will outperform all the other losses, and that's that's that's, that's the game. game. Yeah. That's the game. Exactly. Fair enough. But it's just the the, the 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 I think the interests then diverge a bit where they just want you to go full on full risk, right? right? Because they they already diversified their risk by having multiple companies in their portfolio, right? So they can go full on risk with each individual company because they they already did the diversification. Whereas we obviously um, we don't. So I think there's this slight deviation mm-hmm. um and 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 i think that may or may not add up eventually to uh um some you know problems you know if we take that thought a bit further you know also combining it with your sme experience with cleverclip that you successfully built up to a solid sme business here now with the vc backed setup you are sort of not pressurized maybe that's the wrong word but incentivized to take higher risks to take more risks which can also increase the stress and also the pressure on you as a founder. But then at the same time, maybe you'll get into a situation where you then took too much risk and the company gets killed because of that risk-taking appetite from the VC and because you're taking it. Well, if you t- took a slightly different approach, a more you know, defensive approach, the company might survive and you might also save some jobs, etc. So while I see the math game, you know, the power law, one company returned the whole fund, you actually, the zero sum at the end, the, the pure sum of the outcome might not be maximized because of that. And you kill companies that might have been able to survive on their own without the too high risk taking. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of these cases where the Nash equilibrium is just not, uh, where the, 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 the optimal um, the, 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 the optimal uh, solution is. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, it's it's um, it's also it just creates this dynamic where, you know, you, I could make the argument that without the VCs um, and without this pressure, you you know you you may you you know you may become an SME that could have the potential to become a huge fair point huge case, but yeah. you never you know you never you never know yeah. you never know right of because course. because you just don't have that 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 pressure to to yeah. grow fast and and grow big yeah. So it's never black and white. We're really in a gray area, so to speak. Unfortunately, it is. Yes, so you never. <laughs> I can make the argument for both uh, cases, and I, I never know which one is yeah true. <laughs> now, with your experience, if you had to choose one, would you go the bootstrap way or the VC backed way? Um, I mean, for now, I I really enjoy the ride, and um, we're. I think Anand and myself, um, we really want to turn this into a a big thing. Um, um, very, I think, untypical for a Swiss startup. We really went into this and said, um, we either go very, very big or we go home. Yeah. Um, we're, I, I think we try to be humble in many things, but in this one thing, we're not. And and for that, um, you know, that's the, the, the game that we chose to play. And, and it has its pros and cons, but um, it's it's uh, it's a lot of fun. And you also really put the money where your mouth is because recently you participated in the well-known Y Combinator program. I think that really shows how big your ambitions are. How did that change you and also impact your business, that program? 
Yeah, um, so we were one of the first uh, Swiss companies that got accepted with with um, COVID um, and and YC opening basically remote batches now. Um, we were in the first cohort where a bunch of Swiss companies um, got accepted into it, um, and um, it um, it was a, a really great experience. I mean, it's very expensive. It's very expensive. They take seven percent for a um, that's public, so I can share this for a a, a post uh, valuation of about two point one million. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, it's quite so a sweet deal. It's a it's YC prints money. It's crazy, yeah. and um, and um, and so there, yeah. Uh, but but it's absolutely worth it. I think we um, in these three months of of participating in the batch, we. I think tripled our 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 sales and and we really learned to to grow fast um sometimes break things uh and and really you know focus on on this singular goal of finding product market fit. Yeah. Um and then obviously after that we raised a a really good seed round from from US and and European investors that um I think would have been possible without YC, but yeah. probably not at that valuation. That's a very interesting part, right? The YC brand is so strong that once you're in the program, it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that you can then take on the next financing round at the very good valuation. Yeah, I mean, I think YC helps with, I should say, I, I need to clarify this a bit. I mean, YC by now is so big um, and the media only covers the, the YC companies that do really well, right? You have you have yeah. still like a, a, the majority that just doesn't make it. So from right. our, so the batch is 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 um, um, is organized in um, groups and then sections. And mm -hmm. from our section, those were the companies I know really well. I think we were ten, and two already dropped out of the race. And are dead yep. uh, six months in, basically, or, or nine months in, um, and obviously no one um, survivorship bias, right? No one talks about that, right? Um, but for those who make it, yes, YC is a really good brand for early stage VC fundraising. I don't think YC helps you finding a product that people love. You have to do this yourself, but yep. at least the fundraising part becomes easier, probably Fair significantly point. easier. In that regard, you know, if you then go in with such a high valuation, now as a founder, you know, talking about the pressure again, are you afraid that you then also have some issues to deliver that and to eventually face a down round? Because once you have that high valuation, it's really difficult to go back. Yes, I mean, it, it, it absolutely is. That's the risk um, for... for um for playing this game, right? Um, but then again, that's that's one of the things where where Aaron and I just said we we you know we we knew this going in. We knew like we thought everything through. And when we applied, um, we we had very long conversations about if we if this is the the route we want to take. And there's not a right or wrong answer to this. Mm -hmm. uh, but we just felt let's just let's just go in, go all in. Um, and and um, and either it you know it will go well or or not, but um, but we decided to go all in, and then obviously it makes a ton of sense because um, if you raise at these crazy high valuations, um, you dilute yourself less, 
Um, so, you know, even if you have to raise a bridge round a year after because it's not going that well, yeah. uh, even if you raise that bridge round at the, the previous valuation, you're still better off, you know, than, than um, yeah. you know, raising lower and then increasing it. Um, obviously, the one thing you don't want is is um, a down round. That's that's clear. But um, yeah, we, we hope that's not going to happen in our case. <laughs> and, you know, then to also be fair and circle back to the intro where you said, hey, you're so lucky to be born in Switzerland, to grow up with a good family. What do you actually have to lose if your big ambitions, the plans wouldn't work out? I guess not that much. Ah, that's the thing, right? I mean, that's all like that's the whole point, right? It's it's the the downside for starting a company in Switzerland are so low that it really I really don't understand why not more people are doing it. It yeah. really just rationally, in my opinion, doesn't make any sense. The one thing, the one thing I I I I would. I, the one thing I do understand, like the one kind of pushback is this culture of, um, I, we've heard this multiple times on this podcast, this culture of, um, you know, not celebrating failures, right? Um, and and I should say this is also, this is now working with, with American investors and, and, and with, with YC folks, that's fundamentally different. It's fucking cool if you raised a few million in in the US and then you killed the company because it didn't work out. Because everyone understands it's a full like the difference to Switzerland is it's a full on it's an industry. But here it's like a small community, and there it's a right. it's a it's a it's a it's a fucking proper industry, and they understand that there are so many outside factors that change the trajectory of your company that you cannot possibly uh, control for, that it's just part of the game that you you eventually sometimes fail. And they, they celebrate this. And I think we, we definitely, here in Switzerland, we definitely need to um, do a better job at this. So if it doesn't work out, we probably see you moving to the US and trying it again there. <laughs> I mean that's the I, I'm I'm obviously not I shouldn't I shouldn't probably say this if if any of our investors listen to this but I mean the, if you're an entrepreneur the investor um the investor de-risks himself by having multiple companies in your portfolio you as an entrepreneur you just de-risk yourself by staying in the game and if it fails you just how many like reasonably how many companies can you can you start like let's say if it's a failure, you're probably gonna you probably know it's gonna fail in two to three years, right? Yeah. So you have about what, 10, 15 companies you can start in your lifetime. Yeah. I mean, if you're reasonably talented and you stick to it, at least one of those will will eventually become a success, right? Yeah. So you, you you do the same thing as, as a VC does, just on, on the time scale, you just do it differently. <laughs> and maybe on in different geographies. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, ideally, you don't have to, right? Ideally, sure, yeah. ideally you don't have to. Yeah. And and and, and uh, I, I I honestly think um, like if you're if you're responsible with the money, if you're decent, and if you work hard, and everyone sees that it just wasn't yeah. meant to be, then I think you're also. I think the drawback yeah. is not people understand it's part I think of the game. People, I mean, hopefully, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, Absolutely. they're in the wrong game. Yeah, and the beauty about that is, you know, trying ten to fifteen times, you only have to be right once. That's the thing, right? That's the beauty of the game. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Wow. 
So now, of course, we're also very curious to hear what's next for Pabio and, and you. What do you have planned for the future? Yeah, so we just launched in, in Germany, Berlin. Uh, that happened um, two weeks ago. And now we're wrapping up um, this year. And then next year, we're going to expand to more German cities. Um, uh, probably Munich and Frankfurt will be next. Yeah. And then if everything goes well, we're going to expand to one more European city. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to raise our uh, Series A probably Q3 next year. Okay. And is the US also on the horizon or is that still something for later down the road? I think the US is something for, for later down the road. We have a few fantastic competitors in the US. Um, some of them are, are even invested uh, in Pabio. And I think there's so much um, space here in, in, and demand here in, in Europe. Yeah. And then also if we go, you know, more east, um, you know, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Singapore, there's there's a ton of, um, there's a big market there. So I think the US will, will wait for now. You having great and very big ambitions. You also have potential exit partners on your cap table now. What's your plan? Do you want to sell the company one day or do an IPO? What's your, what's your goal there? That always, make, that always makes me feel uncomfortable <laughs> because uh, I, I really don't want to, um sound sound arrogant but if everything goes well and probably won't because that's how life is but if everything goes well we would do an ipo yeah where switzerland or the us um i mean now i want to obviously say switzerland because we had this big company that just did one and and it yeah. didn't do it here so i feel we, there's there's a a spot um that is uh, that is open there but um, I also fully understand why they chose um, why they chose the U.S. It's just, um, yeah, the, the liquidity obviously is is um, significantly lower if you if you do it in Swiss francs. And the B two C product can also have a, an important be an important factor in that decision. Absolutely. Depending yes. where you'll be there, maybe you'll do it far east. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. So to wrap up this episode, we have some rapid fire questions for you. So I either give you a short question or different options to choose from. And you have to answer in one sentence. You ready? Ready. So with the exception of Pabio, what's a subscription service that you could not do without? Athletic Greens. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. How many hours of sleep did you get last night? Seven and a half. Cool. If you had to pick one style, Scandinavian, modern chic, or industrial? I would choose industrial I guess my wife will make me choose modern chic. <laughs> okay. So I guess your your apartment's in a mix of the of both of them. Yeah, that won't look nice now. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you have to send us a picture that we can put somewhere of your apartment of the because apartment. you <laughs> advertised <laughs> it so nicely, we'll so everybody <laughs> wants to see it now. What does money mean to you? Freedom. Yeah. And the last one, burn or Zurich? In the heart, always burn, I hope, for you as well. Sure. But um, but I think the gravity pulls you towards Zurich. Yeah. I mean, you live in Bern, but I guess you spend quite some time here in Zurich, right? Yeah. Yeah. The only reason why we're not in Zurich yet is because um, we just couldn't find the, the, the decent apartment yet that we really love. Yeah. Nice. Carlo, thank you so much for stopping by. That was a lot of fun. And we're super excited to see how your journey continues and we love the big ambition that you put out there. Thank, Thank you so you much, much for joining. Appreciate it. Thank you very much.
We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.